Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. All right, today we've got the story of Specialist 4 Jesus Duran and his service in the Vietnam War. Specialist Duran was born in Mexico, and that's going to be an important part of his story. He would serve during the Vietnam War with Echo Company, part of the 2nd Battalion, 5th Cavalry Regiment. It's rolled up under the 1st Cavalry Division, and during Vietnam, this is referred to as an Air Mobile Division. The concept of Air Mobile is the idea of using helicopters to bounce around the battlefield as needed. So, you know, the iconic picture in Vietnam is or are helicopters coming into hot landing zones and offloading men and equipment and picking up wounded soldiers and taking them back to the rear. So helicopters played a major, major role in the Vietnam War. And in turn, this incredibly powerful new technology is going to influence how you fight. One of the major ways that that influenced the fight in Vietnam is it allowed for a type of mission called search and destroy. Jesus Duran and his unit are out on a search and destroy mission in April of 1969. And the reason they can do that is because they can bounce around the battlefield in these helicopters. So in traditional warfare, you're going to have a front that moves forward. And except in rare circumstances, you're not going to have people well beyond the front conducting operations. And they're certainly not going to go from behind enemy lines and back. You know, during World War II, you'd have paratroopers jump in behind enemy lines. But then the idea is to push the line beyond the paratroopers, and all of a sudden they're back in friendly territory. Search and destroy was an acknowledgement that the United States was never going to hold the entirety of the the country of Vietnam. We were never going to be able to hold the entire territory, but what we could do now that we have these helicopters is bounce into hotspots, reduce an enemy presence, and come back out to our bases. It's a little bit like looking at a conflict in terms of whack-a-mole. And it, you know, it makes more sense in a conflict like Vietnam than World War II. What are you going to do in France, moving past the American lines, hitting one German unit and coming back? It's not going to have the same impact. You tended to have pockets of resistance and certain areas that were more under enemy control than others in Vietnam. So it made a little more sense to from time to time, mass troops into those areas. But it's a double-edged sword. You're playing a game of attrition. So if you're not going to have a full presence out in the field with the people, and at the end of the day, this was an, an, was an insurgency. It was a well-armed insurgency, and at times, of course, took the form of conventional conflict with the North Vietnamese army. But when we're looking at a lot of Viet Cong forces that are more insurgent elements tied into the local population, it's a little bit like a whack-a-mole. You go out and try to kill a few of them and come home. And is it a win? It's hard to tell. How many American lives and equipment can you trade to knock off a few Viet Cong soldiers? It's, it's a tough metric to win a war by. But in 1969 in Vietnam, this was a popular strategy and something we were often using. One of the challenges that anybody involved in a search and destroy mission faces is when they go out and they're looking for the enemy – You don't always know what you're going to find. So, you know, you're moving out 5, 10, 20, 50 miles into, you know, Indian country, enemy territory. 
you, you can have maps. Maybe you had people there a week prior, a month prior, or whatever. You might do overflights to take pictures of what's on the ground. But at the end of the day, you don't really know what you're going to hit. And if you think about it from the enemy perspective, it seems like it might not be too difficult to bait the Americans to come in and try to attack us here. You know, if, if you know that your enemy is doing this search and destroy mission set, can you set the conditions to where they come to get you and you're ready and you're dug in and you've set up ambushes and booby traps? It happened. It was, it, it happened a lot more right at the beginning of the Vietnam conflict where both sides were kind of trying to figure things out. But throughout the war, there would be um, attempts on both sides to pull the enemy into a battle on their terms. When specials for Jesus Duran and his unit are conducting their search and destroy mission, they run into a series of complex enemy bunkers. Again, this is an issue when you're not living in that territory and you can't patrol that ground every day. It gives the enemy the opportunity to dig in and build entrenched fighting positions. So it's a trade-off and it was a constant trade-off throughout the Vietnam war as it has been throughout every conflict. If you have people on the ground there every day, you're losing resources and maybe there's some low level of combat every single day. Is that better than going in once a month or once every six months and hitting this dug in prepared enemy? I don't know. Um, that's the challenge that a lot of these commanders had in Vietnam. Jesus Duran, his job within his company is that of the M60 machine gunner. So this is a 7.62 millimeter machine gun. It's about 44 inches long. So it's you know between three and four feet long. It's a big weapon. It's going to weigh without ammo about 25 pounds. But of course, a machine gun is no good if you don't have any ammunition. So you tack on the amount of ammunition he's going to be carrying and it's, you know, easily over 30, probably closer to 40 pounds total that he's hauling around, which is substantially more than just carrying an M or an M4 or M16 rifle. With the M60 machine gun, there's a couple different ways that you can use that in combat. There's going to be a bipod attached to it. That's two legs that fold out kind of towards the, the end of the barrel. It's, it's usually pretty lightweight. It, it does the trick with a bipod down on an M60 machine gun. You can quickly put it down in the bipod and it's going to stabilize the weapon. You'll be able to lay down effective fire, you know, just under a thousand yards away. So it's an incredibly effective weapon, but that bipod helps to stabilize it. A step up from a bipod is a tripod. And this thing, I mean, you're ratcheting the weapon system in to where it's almost, you know, it's almost fixed. And it takes quite a bit of effort to move it left, right, up, down. What that does is it really dials the weapon in to certain targets at certain ranges. And with a tripod, the M60 is easily going to be effective out to 1,200 yards. 1,200 yards. So this weapon system can fire a long way and pretty darn accurate at that. That is not how Jesus Duran is going to be using his weapon uh, on April 10th. On that day, as they're conducting a search and destroy mission in Vietnam, the lead elements come into an, a complex enemy bunker system, as I mentioned. The lead element gets hit, and it, it's coming from all sides. So there's pretty effective fire hitting his company from every direction. 
before long, it looks like the command post is at risk of being overrun. So command post, company commander, maybe first sergeant, the radio operator, maybe a fire support officer or a liaison with the Air Force. There's a lot of people right there that are now at risk of, of being overrun. Recognizing this, Specialist 4 Duran runs forward with his M60 machine gun. Again, remember the weight that he's hauling around. And firing from the hip, stands tall in front of the command post and starts spraying fire into the assaulting enemy soldiers. Remember we talked about a bipod and we talked about a tripod. Then you've got the method that Specialist Duran takes up on April 10th. It's firing from the hip. Now, firing a M60 machine gun from the hip is not accurate. You're going to struggle to hit something even at 50 yards for very long. It's going to kick. It's going to bounce. It's going to be hard to handle. But where firing from the hip is effective is if you have a massive amount of targets in front of you. So you don't have to be super accurate. And if those targets are close. If you've got 20 enemy fighters within 10 yards of your position, you're going to do just fine firing from the hip. Jesus Duran that day is firing from the hip, causing incredible damage on the approaching enemy fighters, despite bullets flying overhead, landing in the dirt around him, and grenades going off in every direction. He stands tall, standing in front of the command post, laying down a wall of suppressive fire to protect his fellow soldiers. At one point, he recognizes that there's going to be a, that there's a couple wounded soldiers, wounded American soldiers that are a little dispersed from the rest of the organization and they're pinned down and they can't move. Firing from the hip, Specialist Duran charges forward, firing the whole time until he's standing over the top of this dug-in enemy position. Looks down, opens fire into the emplacement, killing at least four inside, making the re- wounding the rest as they run away. As they run away, the attack starts to dissipate. Duran doesn't stop there. Having rescued his brothers, having stopped the assault at the command post, continues to fire into the enemy enemy elements as the attack dissipates. For his actions that day, for stopping the assault on the command post, for rescuing his brothers that were wounded and cut off from the American lines, Special Force Duran would be awarded the Medal of Honor. But not immediately. He wouldn't be awarded the Medal of Honor in his lifetime, unfortunately. He made it home. He survived the war. He would pass away in 1977. But it took until 2002 for Congress to start looking into situations in which American soldiers may have been overlooked for valor awards, specifically the Medal of Honor. And in in, in 2014, President Obama awarded... Specialist Jesus Duran, now sergeant, by the time he left the military, he was a sergeant, awarded his daughter the Medal of Honor on his behalf. One of the reasons he was likely overlooked is because of what I mentioned right out the gate, born in Mexico. The list of people that were overlooked and the reason that this was open in the first place was recognizing that specifically people of, in in this specific report, it was of Jewish and Latino descent made up the bulk of those that were awarded late. And they were saying that at the time, for um, for reasons that maybe they maybe the award was stopped, like maybe it was just blatantly stopped, we're not going to give this award, or it just wasn't moved up at the same pace that it should have been because of their race and ethnicity. Nonetheless, 
I think in the long term, justice was done. And it's nice that this has come around and his family can appreciate the heroic deeds he took on the battlefield on April 10th, 1969. And for those actions in 2014, Specialist Jesus Duran would be awarded the Medal of Honor. Again, awarded in 2014 to his daughter. And his legacy lives on for his incredible actions that day in Vietnam. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to, to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.